It's great to be able to draw near to God's word this morning. And uh, it's fascinating how very often in our language, a single word can be so powerful. Some of you would remember at the moment, somebody asked you a question, a very significant question, a very significant person that you ended up spending uh, your life with or a good part of your life with. When they asked you a question and they said, will you marry me? And you just used one word, one simple word, but that word made a whole difference when you said yes. Some of you may remember a situation in life or a whole host of situations in life when an opportunity came your way and you just said no. And you're looking back at that saying, I'm so glad I said that no at that time. Another powerful one word that probably doesn't get used as much as it should, it's sorry. How much of a difference it makes in a relationship to have somebody say sincerely and thoughtfully and humbly sorry about something that they have done. And it's interesting, they're sort of small words, one word, but they make such a difference. How about... Help. And you may remember a moment in your life where you just had to get over every single fear that was in your mind and in your body and actually cry out and simply say to somebody, help. And the difference is made to your life. There is such a word in the scriptures. And some of you who are uh, good puzzle solvers who would have seen the title today, can guess where we're going, and some of you have even read the passage. And it's one of the words that Jesus says on the cross when he was crucified, one of the final words. And though in our translation it is more than just one word, the original word that John is using was one simple word, one Greek word, because John wrote in Greek. And the word is tetelestai, which in our language means it is finished. And yet it's so amazing that in one word, we can find an incredible depth of meaning in what this meant for Jesus and for us. In Greek oratory, brevity was always prized. Alan always loves brevity. Whenever we we brought something to him, he'd say, just make it on a piece of A4 so I can read it simply. If you're coming with an essay or 15 pages, I'm likely to get bored. And uh, brevity is so powerful, particularly in our world, when we're so bombarded with information. I don't know about you, but I find it really, really hard to take so much information from so many different angles. And sometimes I just think, I wish somebody would make it a little bit shorter and simpler so that you you can focus and, and pay attention. And this is why I think probably John employs this particular word, just one word in Greek, in order to sum up something that is very profound and very powerful in what Jesus said on the cross. Tetelestai, it is finished. And the grammar that John is using, not that I'm a Greek grammar specialist, I just read other people who are, but apparently the tense in Greek and the whole grammar of it is talking about something that was completed in the past but has an effect in the present. And it's so apt 
of what Jesus is communicating when he says on the cross, as his final words, it is finished. What does it mean? Because the word that John is choosing was an everyday word used in everyday language. And I'm going to give you just a couple of pictures this morning to help us to understand why this is so powerful. And the first one is, is simply this, and this is my rendition. So this is, we're going from Greek to Christie's language. Job done. Job done. So when Jesus is crying out on the cross, Tetelestai, it is finished. He didn't cry Tetelestai because he wasn't speaking in Greek. He was speaking in Aramaic. But when Jesus said those words, it is finished, when John is saying Tetelestai, he's saying job done. And it's the same kind of language that you would use if you hired somebody at your house to do a task, to do some repairs, and they've come to you and they've said, what you've asked me to do has been done. The job has been completed. It's the same word that you would use if you were talking to somebody who was an artist, either a painter or a writer, and they finished their masterpiece. They finished their painting or they finished their novel. They finished their piece of writing. And they would say when they finished, Tetelestai, it is done. It is finished. Job completed. And when Jesus gives those words on the cross, he's reminding us that this was God's plan of rescue. So one of his final words that Jesus is using, he's actually showing that he came to do a job on this earth. He came to fulfill a mission. It wasn't accidental. So many people, when they look at Jesus on the cross and they interpret his death, they say he was a victim of the plot between the Roman authorities who saw him as a threat and the religious establishment who again saw him as a threat. And they thought to themselves, we've got to eliminate this troublemaker. He's becoming too popular with the people. He could lead an uprising and they kill him. And historians probably could have said, what a mistake of Jesus not to anticipate this. Why didn't he run away? Why didn't he use his popularity to draw the masses to make a great cohort of people who were supporting him and fighting for him and helping him to escape the Romans? But what happened on the cross, when Jesus was unjustly, from the point of view of human politics and human history, was actually the plan of God all the way. And when Jesus says it is finished, he's basically declaring to his father, just like a painter with a finished painting, just like a writer with a finished piece of work, just like a workman who'd finished the task that was given to him, it is finished. Like a servant or an employee, because we don't like that language, coming to his employer or his master saying, the job you've asked me to do, it is finished. Tetelestai. Jesus is saying, job done. While he's in the garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus prays this incredibly powerful prayer, the words that he gives in, in John 17 verse 4, he says, speaking to God, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. This was right at the very pinnacle of anxiety 
before Jesus faces the persecution, the beatings, the crucifixion. And it's that moment of decision. Is he going to carry on and go through with it? And Jesus is praying. He's saying to the Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. That was always God's plan. That was the heart of God. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a ploy. It was part of God's plan. And Jesus, when he says, it is finished, tetelestai, he's saying the job is done. This morning, we ought to hear those words, it is finished, and see the humility of Christ and his obedience. God gave him a plan. The Father gave him a plan. The Spirit gave him a plan. And Jesus saw it through to the end. For my rescue and for your rescue. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Philippians, and he's encouraging them to be humble, he uses the example of Christ, but as, a, as an aside, he points out to his incredible humility and obedience. And he says these words, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality to God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So right from his very birth and his incarnation, his coming into our world, the eternal God becomes a human being to the very end of a cruel death on the cross. Jesus is finishing what he started, the rescue mission of God, a God who comes onto this earth to rescue sinners like me and you, and to give us forgiveness and fullness, a fearlessness in the face of death. So Jesus is crying out that cry, it is finished, saying the job is done. My mission is fulfilled. What I've come to do, I have fulfilled. And this is his cry of victory. Many people would have looked at that and would have said, he's had enough. All that Suffering, the beatings, the crown of thorns, the nails through his hands and feet, he's had enough. It was the very opposite. It was a cry of victory through which Jesus said, I've done it. Some of us watch the celebrations of the women's football team and the rest of the nation. What joy. Because they achieved something. How incomparably great is that sense of Jesus declaring, it is finished. I've done it. I crossed the line and I've won the victory. And that's what John is reminding us when he relates that word from Jesus. Tetelestai, it is finished. The other image that John is probably trying to give to us from the common use of that word is that of a merchant where basically you're purchasing something and somebody else has to pay for it. And when it was paid, 
it was declared. Tetelestai, it is finished. And in other words, the debt is paid in full. And this reminds us that actually that's the reason why Jesus came and died again. Jesus didn't just come to die as an example of love. He came to die as a savior for sinners. It should have been me and it should have been you on that cross. The Apostle Paul, and I keep reminding you of these words, say, says, writes to the church in Rome, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. All. Not just the people who don't give to charity. Not just the politicians. Me and you. All of us. And we fall short of the glory of God. And then when he writes to the Romans in, a, in, in another part in the letter, he says, and the wages of sin is death. So the consequence is, if you follow what Paul is saying, he says, we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as a result, as a consequence of that, our payment, our retribution is death, physically and spiritually, eternally. And yet Jesus comes into this world to break this, to break the cycle of sin's dominion over our lives that leads to death. In the Old Testament, God was encouraging his people to, through the system of sacrifices, to experience and to, to, to realize what was happening. And the law was like a mirror pointing out to their sinfulness and their inability to save themselves. And, and, and repeatedly people will come and offer animals as sacrifices and uh, for the forgiveness of their sins to keep them aware of their own sinfulness. And as they were doing it, they were caught in this constant cycle of sin and sacrifice and sin and sacrifice and sin and sacrifice. And the debt was never paid. And yet when Jesus comes, he comes to deal with that debt. That we owe to God. So when you see Jesus on the cross. You see somebody who is paying. Humanity's. Debt for sin. Towards God. And this would have been an impossible. Impossible debt to pay by ourselves. You know that. I know that. It's impossible to do. And that's why we needed a savior from outside. Who comes to redeem us from this. Because. If we were to have, just, just think about it. I was thinking about it last week. Just imagine if we had to offer sacrifices <laughs> for every sin that we do. I mean, we'd be there just sacrificing all day long. It's impossible. That's why we needed the help. And that's what God's rescue plan comes into effect through the coming of Jesus. When John the Baptist sees Jesus right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry come towards him, he proclaims, he prophesies who he is. And the declaration that John gives, is, and it's in John's gospel in chapter 1, verse 29, when John saw Jesus coming towards him, he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. To every Jewish person present there, they would have heard it. This would have been something that, probably was incomprehensible. They were familiar with a physical lamb being offered as a sacrifice in order to pay for the sins that they have committed. But suddenly Jesus 
appears on the scene and John is pointing towards him to a human being and he's saying, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I mean, it must have been incredibly puzzling, frankly, for anybody that would have been there thinking, what's John talking about? I know lambs as in, meh, lamb, but here is a man in his 30s walking towards us. What is he talking about? What John was talking is about what we see at the cross. What John prophesied was fulfilled on the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished. The debt is paid. Sin is dealt with. And Jesus did it by himself, setting us free from the debt of sin. The author to the Hebrews, and we won't go into the passage because it's a little bit bamboozling, but the author to the Hebrews who constantly tries to write to his audience and say, Jesus is better, Jesus is better, comparing religion with a life in Christ. And one of the ways he does, he looks at the sacrifices of the Old Testament, and somehow he points towards Jesus saying, Jesus is the better high priest because he is compassionate on us, and he understands every single struggle with sin that we go through. But then he talks about Jesus being the sacrifice. So it isn't like, it's a beautiful picture in which Jesus at once is both the priest who offers the sacrifice because he's compassionate towards us, but he's also the sacrifice himself, the sacrificial lamb with a capital L. And you've got a beautiful picture in which Jesus in himself draws everything that is needed for our rescue. And that gets fulfilled. When Jesus is crying out on the cross, it is finished. Tetelestai, the debt is paid. I've met a few times people with significant amounts of debt, tens of thousands of pounds. And I certainly vividly remember one person that I talked to when they paid the last penny of that and how it felt. How much more the debt of our sin towards God to know that it's all paid through the costly sacrificial sacrifice of Jesus when he dies on the cross. And that's why, once again, what a cry to hear. If we get it, if we understand and we hear, Tetelestai, it is finished. Your debt is paid. You cannot but cry out, Hallelujah. What a savior. And those two images, job done, debt paid, helps us to understand a little bit of what was happening there. It wasn't a selfish cry of relief. Jesus saying, oh, it is finished. I'm done now. It was a cry of victory. It was a declaration that impacts our life ever since. How do we respond to that? At least three ways very simply, that we can respond to that. And uh, the the first one is receiving. It's so important to actually receive what Jesus has done for us on the cross. Otherwise, it's just theory, and it's it's, it's empty of any power and any meaning. And this morning, I want to say to you, it is for you, it is for me, it is for us, that Jesus says, it is finished. It is finished. 
And maybe you, you're struggling to, to believe it. And I want to plead with you and pray that the Holy Spirit would bring such a strong sense of conviction of truth that when Jesus said it is finished, it is finished. And if you are still in that state where you're thinking, I don't really know whether God can forgive me. I don't really know. I'm different than other people. I'm not like other people. God can't forgive me. I want to declare to you alongside echoing the words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. It's done. Receive that salvation. But, but you have to receive it. It's almost as if you were to come to me and say to me, Christy, I'm 50 grand in debt. And I would say to you, here's a check of 50 grand. This is very hypothetical. <laughs> here's a check of 50 grand. But you've got to take it from me and go to the bank and cash it and have that being taken into your account to be able to pay your debt. And some of you have heard about this, and, and you're still kind of, I'm there with a check in my hand, and you're saying, oh, maybe it's a time to actually reach out and say to Jesus, I'm taking the check. I'm taking that payment of sin. I'm taking with all my gratitude what you're offering in order to cover for my sin. Some of you have already done that. But maybe... In the journey of life, you've been meandering left, right, and center and going through the knocks of life and the difficulties and the circumstances, and you kind of wandered off. And maybe these words from Jesus are just an incredible reminder. It's almost like a cry to come home, to return, to come to him, because he loves you. He really does, more than you imagine. And when you think there's going to be a harsh welcome, you'd be surprised at the gentleness and the kindness of God. He would say, return home. Come home. And maybe some of you have done both receiving and returning. What about rejoicing? I keep asking myself this question. And it might be just me. If I'm a walking, talking, living advert for the grace of Jesus, what is there to be seen in me? You know, is grace really amazing? Or is it just all right? Is grace really amazing every day? Or just when I fell on the up? Because it is amazing. And we should be walking like those prisoners who've been set free. Forever, forever, forever. Enjoying the incredible gift that God has given us in Christ. Heads held up high. Not because we're great. Because our Savior is amazing. And that's the impact of those words. John, when he describes Jesus' coming into the world, he says he came into the very world he created, John 1, but the world did not recognize him. He came to his own people and they rejected him, but to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. What good news is there, which is incredible. 
Max Lucado, when he summarizes this, as you know, Max is a very good writer, a good craftsman with words. He pens it like this. It is finished. What was finished? The history-long plan of redeeming man was finished. The message of God to man was finished. The works done by Jesus as a man on earth were finished. The task of selecting and training ambassadors was finished. The job was finished. The song had been sung. The blood had been poured. The sacrifice had been made. The sting of death has been removed. It was over. A cry of defeat? Hardly. Had his hands not been fastened down, I dare say that a triumphant fist would have punched the dark sky. This isn't a cry of despair. It's a cry of completion, a cry of victory, a cry of fulfillment. The fighter remained, and thank God that he did. This is our Savior. As the band comes up and prepares a song for us to transition into communion, to to once again take it in what Jesus did for us. Let me read the words of that well-known hymn that capture this. I hear the Savior say, thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. And the chorus is, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin has left the crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find thy power and thine alone. Come and change the leper's spots, and it melts the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin has left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Holy Spirit, help us again this morning to take it in. What Jesus has done for us. May it grab hold of our minds and hearts with a force that shakes away the sinful urges that we have, that dusts away the cobwebs of doubt and brings again clarity, that kindles our hearts with fire for love for a Savior that loved us and gave himself for us. Help us as we draw near to your table this morning, to see it, to believe it, to experience it. Amen.